0: Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, December the 3rd. Hope you're having a great day, wherever you're listening, having a run, driving the car. Jan Fran's joining me. It's a happy Thursday.
1: It is a happy Thursday. And today
2: you're looking at ankle bracelets, Tom.
0: Yeah, could ankle bracelets and home quarantine be the answer to reopening international travel?
2: The bigger the COVID numbers elsewhere in the world where people are coming from, I think we're going to need to be, you know, creative creative about you know what else can we do.
1: Yeah I don't know if creativity extends to having to wear an ankle bracelet I don't know if I'd enjoy doing that.
0: Creatively using technology normally reserved for criminals.
1: Yeah that is the briefing topic that you and Annika are going to get into in just a moment though.
0: (laughs) Yeah let's hit the news first. WeChat, the Chinese social media platform has overnight removed a message posted by Scott Morrison.
1: Yeah, so the PM posted this message on Tuesday evening in response to the fake image that was tweeted by a Chinese government official days earlier, which showed an Australian soldier attacking an Afghan child.
0: Scott Morrison wrote that Australia's ability to deal with issues in a transparent and honest way is a strength of this country, the way a free, democratic and enlightened nation should be and that the doctored picture doesn't diminish respect or appreciation for Australia's Chinese community.
1: Yeah, well, it doesn't look like WeChat liked that post because last night the social media platform took it down and they posted a company statement in its place. So the statement says that the post involved the use of words, pictures and videos that would, quote, unquote, incite, mislead and violate objective facts, fabricating social hot topics, distorting historical events, and confusing the public.
0: Yeah, I can imagine the Chinese wouldn't have liked those words, free, democratic, and enlightened. They seem like they could be a little bit of a a jab.
1: Well, yeah. And look, speaking of free, democratic, and enlightened, staying in the region and sort of with China, three pro-democracy activists who are all in their 20s have been jailed for organising the Hong Kong protests, or at least one of them. 24-year-old Joshua Wong was sentenced to 13 months in prison for organising a protest near the city police headquarters in June of 2019. Agnes Chow, who's 23, and Ivan Lam, who's 26, both got 10 and 7 months sentenced respectively for a similar role in that protest. And this all happened after China imposed these very heavy national security laws to crack down on dissent in Hong Kong. 10,000 protesters have been arrested. On very questionable charges, so in terms of quashing dissent and things that China doesn't like, they have a have a bit of a record here.
0: Yeah, it's pretty um, tough news for those activists. We in the Australian media interviewed lots of these people during those protests, and they sort of they look so strong and defiant, standing up to the Chinese authorities, and now they're going to be in jail. And
1: they're so young; they're all in their twenties. Britain has become the first country to approve the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine with a mass rollout to begin next week.
0: In our battle against the virus, help is on its way. Today is a triumph for all those who believe in science, a triumph for ingenuity, a triumph for humanity. And I want to thank everyone who's played their part in this achievement. Yeah, pretty exciting announcement. That was Health Secretary Matt Hancock announcing the approval of the jab, which has proved 95% effective in trials. BioNTech CEO Uga Sahin has told CNN this is a major turning point.
2: This is really, of course, a very important milestone. So it will be the first time that people outside of clinical trials will get access to our vaccine. And we believe that it is really the start of the end of the pandemic.
1: The UK has ordered 40 million doses. Um, It says that they will be rolled out as fast as they can be made in Belgium. Elderly care, home residents, staff and also frontline healthcare workers are going to get the first 800,000, which are due in the coming days.
0: Yeah, Australia will import 10 million doses of this vaccine, enough for 5 million people. But we're going to have to wait till March. Um, our health minister put out a statement saying the approval in the UK was great news, but our approval was due late January and then the rollout beginning in March. Uh, Here's Dr Chris Moy from the Australian Medical Association.
3: There will be monitoring of how it goes and we'll just make sure it allows Australia to observe, to make sure that the next phase of implementation and, and giving out of the vaccine is smooth and safe.
1: You sound a bit salty that we're getting them in March. Not happy?
0: I think I'd like to get it next week like the UK are.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Look, I think we're doing quite well, though, in terms of our COVID cases. We're probably not a priority in terms of which country gets the vaccine first.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point. It's those other countries with massive infection rates that that need it most. And for us to open our borders, we actually need them to sort it out more than we need us to sort it out. Yeah,
1: exactly. I also think that there has to be a sort of a uniform rollout at some point, otherwise international travel just can't resume in the way that we've known it.
0: And Australia's officially out of recession. Today's increase in the September quarter of 3.3% is
3: the largest quarterly increase in GDP since 1976.
1: Okay, the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, sounding very happy there to give us those numbers. He said that a huge rise in household consumption, so that's basically individual Aussies spending their money, Uh, He said that's what drove the better than expected result.
0: Yeah, so it is worth noting that this 3.3% increase follows a staggering 7% decrease in the last quarter. So as Josh Frydenberg said, we are bouncing back very fast. But this technical economic definition of being out of recession might not feel like reality or the reality a lot of Australians are living. Yes, the economy is growing again, but it's still less than halfway back to where it was pre-COVID and pre-bushfires. And it won't get back to where it was until well into next year. Yeah. But we have, you know... Pass the definition of a recession being over because we're not in negative growth anymore.
1: Yes, on paper. And I think as well, March next year is going to be an interesting month because that's when JobKeeper stops. And that's when we really start to see uh, some of the effects of people not having access to that money and what that actually looks like. So, you know, let's just stay cautiously optimistic here, but wait and see what happens. Sounds good. And would you eat chicken nuggets Thomas made in a lab? I'd eat anything. I would I would too. <laughs> I don't care where it's made. Is it good for me and does it taste delicious? I will eat it.
0: Can I put it in my mouth without dying? Um, <laughs> Singapore's given the green light to sell the world's first so-called clean meat, which doesn't come from slaughtered animals. Instead, they're grown from animal muscle cells in a lab.
1: There you go. The nuggets will be launched um, in a Singapore restaurant. We don't know when, but the company that makes them eat just says in the very near term. So... <laughs> This company once costed the nuggets at 50 US dollars each,
4: Mm. which
1: I don't know if I would pay 50 US dollars (laughs) each for a single nugget. Uh, But now it says that it can sell them at a price that is similar to, you know, ordinary but premium chicken nuggets.
0: So the question is, why would you want one of these when you could have an actual chicken nugget?
1: From Macca's. (laughs) Well, you know, the animal slaughter is a big one.
0: Yeah, well, there's there's the animal side of things, but there's also the environmental side of things, which is uh, one of the main points here. Basically, land clearing for meat production has devastating environmental consequences for biodiversity. Um, it's also part of the climate change problem because it removes you know trees from the earth. So, producing meat and other protein in labs is going to be part of a more sustainable future for this world where we have almost 8 billion people wanting to be fed every day.
1: And the more we do that, the cheaper they become. So you're not paying 50 bucks for a chicken nugget. What would you
0: pay? One dollar?
1: Yeah, a few bucks.
0: All right, we'll catch you tomorrow. Jan, Annika's about to join us as we look at new technologies for quarantine. Quarantine.
4: Now, Tom, would you wear an ankle bracelet at home for a couple of weeks if it meant that you didn't have to do hotel
0: quarantine? So it'd be kind of like house arrest. I'd have a big chunky bracelet monitoring my movements.
4: Yeah, but you don't have to be locked up in an Ibis with no windows for a fortnight.
0: (laughs) Yes, definitely. I I would much rather do the quarantine at home.
4: Yeah, look, it doesn't sound like a great prospect either way, but if it means that it's a good way to get home, all those return travellers stuck overseas, this could actually be an option
0: there was a national review into hotel quarantine and it said ankle bracelets could be one of the solutions to hotel quarantine. Look, I'm just going to let those uh, experts who are going to work on these options do their job. I expect them to be innovative. I expect them to think about new ways of doing things and they'll bring that back to the national cabinet. Yeah, since March, there's been a pretty innovative way of doing it in Hong Kong where they've been allowing travellers to home quarantine and not using a big, chunky ankle bracelet like in prison, but a bracelet on your wrist that you scan into a phone app. And that system seems to be working there. Hong Kong's got very low case numbers.
4: I kind of like what they've got in Poland, Tom, where it prompts you to send a selfie to authorities from wherever you are to prove that you're not breaking quarantine. But look, there are a lot of options. So let's explore how such monitoring devices could work here in Australia and how they'd be received by Australian travellers, given that option to either go to a hotel or do it at home.
0: Yeah, so Prue O'Donnell's a 24-year-old Melbourne expat. She's just got home from London. She's staying at the government quarantine facility in Howard Springs. It's in a rural area near Darwin, and this facility has previously been used to house asylum seekers. Prue, what's it like there?
3: Uh House Springs is really nice actually very basic facilities but the whole setup is quite nice so we were walking up until about day five we we're allowed to walk every day but unfortunately a few people tested positive so they've just retracted that to just help with the social distancing you can go out on your balconies and sunbake and enjoy the weather it's yeah, really quite nice. Compared to a hotel, I would definitely much rather be here because you can get some fresh air. You can chat to people who are your neighbours and yeah, makes the days go quicker for sure.
4: Now Prue, as lovely as it is, it is a little bit primitive and of course it's not home. So would you prefer to be in your house wearing an ankle bracelet monitoring you for two weeks or where you are now?
3: I would have said ankle bracelet before I came here just because I would have been with Family, or you know, in a familiar surrounding, but probably here actually, because everything's catered for you, they're constantly checking on you with that like, medical health, mental health, and it's quite warm actually. I'm from Victoria and it's not always that warm, so
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, I'm quite surprised by that reaction. Is it is there also something about the idea of an ankle bracelet that's a bit of a turn off?
3: Uh, not really, I think it's just the the fact that people are in it with you, so there's people around you who are doing the exact same thing, have come from very similar situations, so you kind of come together on that.
0: Wow, quite a surprising reaction from Prue there, Annika.
3: I know, I'm kind of tempted now. <laughs> Maybe I'll take a holiday to Howard
4: Spring.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, let's find out more about the bracelet technology. Dr. Marietta Martonovic is a criminologist at RMIT. She's done a PhD on electronic monitoring. Marietta, how do you think this monitoring technology could solve the hotel quarantine challenge?
2: Uh, Look, electronic monitoring um, has been in use in Australia for more than 30 years. Uh, And there's been a lot of experience uh, by various state governments in its use for offenders, so people who have broken the law and have proven to us that, that they cannot be trusted. What we are talking about now is a very different type of use of electronic monitoring solutions for people instead of hotel quarantine. That's very, very different. Um, the devices are different, the technology are different, and of course, uh, you know, there are privacy implications, etc., etc.
0: So, do you think it's a good idea or do you have such grave concerns that you think it's maybe not the best way forward?
2: Look, Tom, I think it is a very good idea. I think hotel quarantine is a good solution, but only for maybe a few thousands of people at a time. If we are thinking about bringing back many more thousands of people, we know that there's at least, you know, 35,000 Australians stranded overseas still. We also, at some point, want to start bringing back some uh, university students who were studying with us and there's more than, you know, 100,000 of those, if we're looking at those big numbers, hotel quarantine in those massive numbers is not going to be possible. It's not economically sustainable for the government uh, nor for individuals. And I think we've got to think outside the square. And yes, I think it is a good idea.
4: You touched on some of the issues with this sort of technology. And of course, one of them is privacy. We're giving up a lot for keeping people safe. So is it okay to give up these sort of freedoms. Will the government be able to see, for instance, what room we've been
2: to? Look, n- nobody can see anything. There's a, probably about five, six different solutions out there. So one is a smartphone-like device. Another one is an app and there's a third one, which is like a kind of a hotel, something you would wear in a hotel, fancy hotel when you're scanning your drinks instead of having to, you know, have a have credit card with you, uh, thin bracelet. Uh, so there's a few different solutions that involve absolutely zero tracking, actual tracking. It's pretty much saying you are within the realms of your home, doesn't record any information. So personally, I don't have any issues about any of that. And I think you're supposed to be at home anyway. You do the right thing for two weeks and off you go.
4: In terms of how much devices like this can cost, we're seeing people fork out $3,000 for hotel quarantine. Up until recently, the government was paying that, uh, taxpayers were. So how much could a system like this cost compare, would it save the government money?
2: Look, absolutely. It would have to save government money. Otherwise, it wouldn't make much sense. Although one needs to also say that people would probably prefer themselves to be quarantining at home instead of in a hotel, right? So that needs to be said. People who I've spoken to, and I said to you, there's about five or six different companies out there that have what they call our solutions uh, to the crisis. Uh, they're all saying between 20 and I would say $100 per person for quarantining for two weeks. So we're looking at a much, much cheaper alternative to the you know, 3000 that you've just mentioned.
0: Okay. You mentioned there were five or six solutions and you talked about three of them, one involving a smartphone, another one involving an app, and then a wrist bracelet like you'd use in a hotel at the start of this conversation we're hearing about ankle bracelets which were a lot more like we hear about prisoners using so what do you think of those solutions how would they work and what would be the issues there
2: look i certainly would not be advocating uh, for the technology which is worn by offenders first reason is that that this is very expensive technology and the whole point of the technology is that it's worn by people who like I've said you know have proven to us that they cannot be trusted so we have some very serious uh, violent offenders sex offenders on this technology I mean this is certainly not the technology that we should have for people who are self-quarantining it just doesn't make any sense also this technology is much more expensive It kind of defeats the purpose of us trying to be economically sustainable. And, you know, it looks bulky. It's, you know, pretty hard to wear. I mean, I've wanted that technology myself. You know, you kind of feel it when you're sleeping. It's not kind of, you know, what the message that we want to be sending to the world, I don't think other countries are using the other technology. So countries like Singapore and Hong Kong, um, also parts of India now, are using different technology. And I can tell you, and this is the the wristlet-like technology, very thin, the one that's worn, like I said, in some hotels. And look, people don't seem to have any complaints about it. The, the numbers of COVID cases have not increased. In fact, they've plateaued. They've started to let masses of people back in, you know, domestic workers, permanent residents, et cetera, particularly in Singapore. I think that these are the lessons that we certainly could be learning. And that for all those reasons, I would not be advocating for the expensive technology, which is worn by offenders.
0: Yeah, the ankle bracelets, I think, were a bit of a turnoff for a lot of people. Maybe it wasn't the right thing to, to float at the start of this whole conversation from our political leaders. Tell us more about this this wrist bracelet technology like they're using in Hong Kong. Does it track you or do you just scan that wrist bracelet into a phone app?
2: You simply scan it into a phone app. That's exactly right. And the two work in tandem. And if you don't have a smartphone, they have another solution, the company that manufactures it. And the other solution is basically it doesn't work with a smartphone. It works with like a gateway device that you plug into a socket, into a wall socket at home. And the two basically work together you know, Bob's your uncle, Uh, and it happens at immigration, that one is given, um, you know, stay at home notice for 14 days, prior to clearing customs, of course. Um, You get this notice and then you get the technology, you get, you know, you explained what you've got to do for the next 14 days. As soon as you get home, you make sure that it's all working and basically that's it.
4: Does simply wearing one of these monitoring bracelets, an offender bracelet or a more modern version, Simply curve behaviour by reminding people to do the right thing.
2: I can tell you, Annika, that all of the research is saying that that's exactly what happens. That as soon as you put one of these things on, and this is, of course, in the offender space. So if we know that this works in the offender space, why wouldn't we have a trial and have a look at how this could work in the COVID space. But the bigger the numbers of people coming back, and of course, the bigger the COVID numbers elsewhere in the world where people are coming from, I think we're going to need to be, you know, creative, is what I'll say, creative about, you know, what else can we do.
0: That was Dr. Marietta Maltonovic, a criminologist at RMIT, and I think the other big question here is, does it really need to be two weeks?
4: Yeah, look, I looked at this report and there are some other options they're considering. And one of them is looking at the risk of a country first. So if you're coming from Europe or the US, you definitely have to do those two weeks. But there's some low risk countries and ones that we might not quite put in a travel bubble yet, but ones that have lower risk. So maybe those people can do it from home or, as you say do a shorter time in quarantine.
0: Tomorrow on The Briefing, we are going running as um, some of you might be right now. And as many of you have started doing during um, the pandemic here, we'll explore the psychology and the physiology of running.
1: A Podcast One production.